This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu and later editors. As for who recommended this book, Eric, go ahead and take that over. Yeah, this is always one of the most widely recommended books, both in Tools of Titans and Tribe of Mentors. And if we just go from the list of, of podcast episodes, I'm, I'm just going to start reading off all the people who have recommended this book, starting with episode two of the Tim Ferriss podcast show. Josh Waitzkin recommended the book. Then we have Rick Rubin. I remember that episode. Laird Hamilton, Naval Ravikant, Jason Niemer. Uh, there was another episode where Josh Waitzkin, Waitzkin, Ramit Sethi, and Adam Robinson were all on an episode together, and it was discussed and recommended in that episode, as well as uh, Adam Robinson in his own episode with Tim Ferriss, Soman Chinani, Krista Tippett, Gretchen Rubin, and one of the most recent episodes, podcast number 292, which included Soman, Chiani, Susan Kane, and Graham Duncan. So uh, quite a few people have recommended this one. <laughs> and for good reason. This is one of the great classics of world history uh, and has been one of the foundations of Chinese culture for more than two millennia. So uh, it has a, a long and venerable history of... Uh, I suppose we should talk a little bit about its legendary author, uh, Lao Tzu, which is, it's not clear whether this is a, a name or a title. Lao Tzu means uh, something like, uh, I, I, it's it, maybe old master is, is a good way to take it, although I prefer the uh, strikingly British old boy. Um, you, you have this, uh, this idea that Actually, the, the legend about Lao Tzu, there are a number of legends that developed about him after, you know, long after uh, this book had been, uh, had been published and had been used. Eventually, Taoism became a, uh, its own way of thinking or it's a, a particular, uh, there, there began to be uh, various schools of, of Taoist thought based on uh, the Tao Te Ching and actually uh, the Shuangzi, which is based on another uh, another uh, uh, thinker who who built on on much of this uh, this material, but uh, after after things had developed long enough, uh, he he began to to be regarded more as kind of a, a deity or a uh, a divine revealer figure rather than just a wise sage from the past, such that this old boy uh, was actually imagined as a kind of Benjamin Button. That he was, you know, the story goes, there are a number of stories about this, but that he was conceived by a shooting star, uh, that he gestated in the womb of his mother for 82 years, which <laughs> seems to me as though that would be a very um, unpleasant pregnancy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously he was, he was very gentle. Um, and that he was born with a white beard, you know, born an old man, kind of Benjamin Button style. Uh, but... You know, this this is the kind of legend that just goes to show how venerable he had already become, uh, and and 
the way to think about this uh, this master and uh, and and his message. So uh, so yeah, this is uh, like I said, the, uh, the 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 book itself is the uh, Tao Te Ching, and uh, that that's probably best translated something along the lines of uh, the Book of the Power of the Way, or the Book of the Way and Power. Uh, there's a few different ways of doing that. Uh, but basically you have, uh, the idea of the Tao, uh, which is, uh, a word that means the way, something like that. Uh, it also can mean, uh, something along the lines of to speak. It can also mean a path in Chinese. So, uh, it's any of those concepts and kind of all rolled together, uh, in actually for, for those of you who are familiar in the audience, uh, with the Greek term logos, which is used in, say, John 1 of the uh, Christian Bible, uh, the, the, the term that uh, translators typically use to translate logos into Chinese is actually Tao, even though that's a little confusing because the Tao is actually characterized rather significantly different in a number of ways than the Greek con concept of the Logos, but there is a little bit of overlap, and so, so, so translators tend to use that uh, that way. But, um, and then uh, de, uh, the, 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 the second word there, uh, means power. Uh, so uh, then you have jing, which is like the, the book or the, the collection or something like that. Uh, so uh, anyway, you have the 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 uh, the Tao Te Ching is this book that is it's short. You can read it in a in a lunch break uh, and uh, pithy, all sorts of really profound sayings. Uh, and it's divided really into two sections. You have this um, the first thirty seven chapters are really the Tao Ching, the uh, the the discussion of the Tao, the way. And then you have the uh, the the next the, the remainder of the chapters, chapters thirty eight through eighty one, uh, which then discuss basically political rule and 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 uh, proper ways of governing and power and all sorts of things. Again, depending on the Tao, uh, some people actually think that maybe the, it was originally the De Tao Ching, so that those parts came first. But um, but in any case, that's the basic structure of the book. Very short. Uh, each each chapter has its own its own thing. Although uh, it, it, it's most likely that the chapters were added later, uh, were, were later additions to aid memorization or uh, to to break things up a little bit, and that things were originally organized a little bit more fluidly in the textual tradition. But uh, but what we have today is a fairly fixed text, and uh, again is supposedly derived from the old boy or old master. Uh, Lao Tzu, and uh, he, uh, again, like I said, there there's some legends about him that developed, but the 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 earliest uh, details that we we have uh, about him is that he was uh, himself a uh, he was a, uh, a basically a, an archivist of sorts in uh, one of the old Chinese kingdoms, and eventually decided you know what, I'm just kind of tired of this. And he decided to get up and leave and just sort of go, if you've seen Crocodile Dundee, go on a walkabout. <laughs> Basically, he decided to leave the empire and, um, and uh, or leave that kingdom 
and uh, and decided, you know, basically, what am I doing this for? Uh, but he was revered for his wisdom already, again, as an archivist and so on. So as he got to the far edge of the of the kingdom, basically to the Great Wall, and he was about to exit China and go into the wilderness so that he could just live, um, the, the, the legend says that a guard basically stopped him and, and recognized him and said, oh, no, 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 I'm not letting you go until you write me a book about how to live, how to, how to live life well. And so he sat down and put this together and then gave it to him and then disappeared into the pages of history. And, you know, you have any number of explanations of what happened after that, but nobody knows. And again, that story itself is probably quite legendary. And a good portion of the book of this, uh, of the Tao Te Ching is actually almost certainly um, written after the, um, after the life of Lao Tzu, who was probably around the 4th century BCE or a little bit before that, uh, maybe 5th century BCE, but some of this stuff clearly came after that and was edited in by followers. So, you know, that's, that's the, those are the legends. That's apparent. That's, that's uh, the story behind the book, but uh, there's a lot in here that's uh, worth talking about. And I suppose we should uh, get a little further in, in before we do any more summary on that, that end of things. Well, do you think he would have had any idea that uh, his book would be number two on the all time most translated books of the world after the Bible list? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't know that he actually wrote a book that was anything like this. I mean, yeah. but uh, but obviously there's someone somewhere that 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 started this process. And I don't imagine that that person ever would have thought that it it would have become what it became. But uh, probably pretty would have been pretty pleased to know that uh, <laughs> provided people actually listened to it and paid attention to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, good. Well, yeah, this uh, this episode is. Well, the book is part of our 2018 reading list, and uh, most of what we're doing this year is uh, either Jason or I are reading the book, and then we're interviewing each other about the book. But this is one of the uh, five or so books that we we have both read. Um, I just, as Jason mentioned, you can read it during a lunch hour, and I, I actually just read it right before this this podcast episode. So, yeah, it's one of those you can read quickly, but it's uh, it's one of those where it's like. I, yeah, you need to chew on on these some of these for a while. It's one that deserves to be reread many mm-hmm. times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, with the, with this episode also, uh, Jason teaches on this this subject <laughs> at the university level. So I'm gonna actually kind of take this as a chance to ask questions in a way to to bring uh, some of these concepts to life and and. Uh, the, the religion of it and then also how that differs from other religions, uh, other ideas, and when also where there's there's some similarities. So uh, we'll, we'll take that approach, which is which is going to be a, a little unique if, if you listen to some of the other episodes. But I think it should be a, a really enlightening one and um, and and should help in if you have read the book or if you do plan to read the the uh, the collection here at, at some point. So. Let's let's go into it. My my first question on this is, is is this collection is this the foundation of Taoism, and are there other are there other uh, texts or sources, or is this is this it? <laughs> so that's a it's a complicated question. Um, yes, in 
in large measure, this is together with the Zhuangzi uh, or Zhuangzi, uh, one of the one of the two foundational texts, most foundational texts to Taoism. The the this philosophical religious tradition. I mean. Taoism, it's hard to even define as a religion, because uh, generally speaking, a religion, people, people, uh, well, first of all, religion is hard to define, uh, but it's, it's not a, 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 a thing that has uh, a specific hierarchy, although there are sects of Taoism that are, uh, that have their own uh, dogmas and ritual, ritual practices and so on, but Generally speaking, Taoism proper as a larger, larger thing is more of a kind of philosophical approach in the world that that is, I think it's appropriate to call it a religion, um, but it you've got a long, long history of what actually goes into it and a long interpretive history, again, based on the earliest texts of of the um of of the philosophy and of the way of thinking but uh and and the Tao Te Ching is the oldest and the most influential of them but it's not all that there is it's not a situation where it's like the bible say for 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 Taoists and the other thing that is is worth uh noting is there are relatively few Taoists proper in fact uh in terms of China and the way that it actually takes its census data and, and, and calculates who's who is what and who considers themselves what, it doesn't actually count Taoists like as religious, you know, people who are adherents to Taoism exactly as as religious as a particular subtext or subgroup of religion. You know, in the United States, we might have uh, on the census that you list whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, etc. And in other places, they do that uh, as well. Well, Taoism isn't really that option. They only count the clergy, people who are Taoist teachers or, um, uh, you know, part part of one of these specific sects. Uh, so that that complicates things as well. And and to be honest, the influence of Taoism in that regard is much larger than its numbers as a religion, because Taoism is one of the what what are called in China the three teachings, which is Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism. So, and most people in China pull from the three teachings in various ways in the ways that they live their lives. So it's not a matter, generally speaking, of people in China saying, "Well, I'm a Taoist and I'm a Confucianist, or uh, you know, I'm a communist, or whatever." It's a matter of, well, you know, Confucius says this and, you know, the Tao Te Ching says this. And so we, you know, th this is it just it is a part of it's in the air. It's a part of what it is to be Chinese. And so it's it's a big piece of that culture. Uh, and it, of course, has had influence far beyond that, far beyond China through the martial arts and through uh, through philosophical interaction with other traditions and so on. And it's one of those traditions that's very plastic and malleable such that it's very easy to read the Tao Te Ching. And if you're a, if you're a Christian to go, yeah, man, this, there's some really good stuff in here that I should chew on and, and incorporate into thinking and how I think about 
Christianity. And if you're a Jew, you could do the same thing. And if you're a Confucianist, well, there's some places where they're, they're at odds, but generally it's one of the three teachings. You do the same thing. So it's one of those things that philosophically it, it, it very easily just works with other traditions in a lot of respects, even though it's got its own, its own territory as well. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it, it, it almost, it reminded me a lot of last year's, the uh, Seneca book of, um, on the shortness on of Sto- life. On Stoicism, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and also Maxims and Reflections. Uh, so it has it has that feel and, and dare I even say almost almost a self help book in, in some some aspects. You it know, is. You, you kind of get that feel that feel of it. So yeah, and, it's beyond then, a self help book though. I mean really yeah, yeah, what this yeah. is is uh, when you're talking about ancient literature there is a genre of ancient literature that that's generally called, referred to as wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. You, you see this again, if, if many of our readers are probably, or our listeners are probably most familiar with the Bible. Uh, the Bible has wisdom literature in it. Proverbs being the most notable example, but Proverbs, Job, Kohelet or Ecclesiastes, these are wisdom books and they have specific stuff. I mean, if you read the book of Proverbs, you could take that to China and it's going to play just as well, generally speaking. Yeah, it's not as much doctrine as... It, yeah, it's not religious doctrine about the nature of God or whatever, right? And what you have, mm-hmm. it's not theology. It's anthropology. It's this is the way the world works. So there's a lot of that. But but oftentimes there is sort of a subtle theology embedded in these things. And there certainly is in like Proverbs. There is in the Tao Te Ching. But... It is, it, it's in that genre of wisdom literature. And Seneca, in, in his philosophical stuff, uh, he's, he's doing philosophy in, on the shortness of life, which is more or less the Greco-Roman analogous category to wisdom literature in Eastern traditions. So it's, it's, it's all part of the same larger human conversation, you know, humanist conversation in that regard. Okay. Would, would this have been around in ancient Greece? Would they have had this book? I don't think so. Um, okay. I don't have. I, 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 this is this is one of those things where you know, we 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 talked about the Republic, and when you read the Republic, and this is something I really should have put in the Republic episode. At some point, we may want to go back and and add it. Um, but I'm convinced that Plato and Socrates were familiar with Vedic India. Like they, they had had interaction with and knew the general structures of how Ve- the India of the Vedas, so the Indus Valley civilization, with the, that the, the we have the, the Vedas, the, the foundational texts of, uh, the earliest texts of, that, that lie at the, at the root of, of Hinduism. I'm, I'm convinced that they had some familiarity with that culture and that some of that had worked its way. There'd been some back and forth there and they knew more or less how things worked. Because if you look at like the Vedic myth of, uh, of the origin of, of humanity, then you look at the structure of Vedic society, it, match, it, it maps almost perfectly onto Socrates's division of the human being and division of proper division of, of the city state into the guardian the auxiliary, and then the merchant or uh, economic class below that as the three primary parts of the city. And then in the, uh, in, in the caste system that was based on the Vedic, or the, in Vedic India, that, that Vedic caste system has 
guardians called Brahmins, and then you've got uh, then you've got the auxiliaries, the 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 kingly warrior class uh, caste below them, and then you have the merchant and economic caste below them, and then the shudras, the 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 servant and the servant caste, and you know basically the people who do the farming and stuff like that, and then the untouchables below them. It's basic. It's exactly the same as what you get in Socrates. What Socrates is proposing, and Vedic India was a contemporary with Socrates. I, to me, that's not accidental, right? I mean, it's he's interacting with that stuff. I think there's good evidence for that, um, and he just leaves out the bottom two castes because you know who cares about them? Um, but uh, really, the bottom caste and then the Untouchables, who are their own kind of, it's, they're a subcaste. They're not even a caste. Um, they're almost subhuman. So I think there's evidence in that and also in various el- elements of, of Greek philosophy that are really borrowing from a lot of, of Indian thought. There's interaction back and forth. And you think about it, Alexander got all the way to the Indus Valley, right, in his, con- in his conquests. So, I mean, there, there, was, there was some back and forth at that point. That was in the days of Aristotle, which is just after Plato and Socrates. So I think there's evidence of that kind of cross-pollination uh, between India and, Gre- and Greece, but I don't think there's any real good evidence of cross-pollination between, say, Taoism and Taoist concepts and Greece in any of the any of the periods that I've looked at. So, so I don't think we have we have any any comparable uh, evidence to go with that. So, long answer to a short part, question. Part of it would be if they were trading at that point, because right, no, that's as, as that's I exactly a lot how of ideas it goes. are exchanged that way. Yeah. But if if they're not trading, then they're not seeing each other. Yeah, and India certainly certainly was trading with the ancient Near East and, and worked its way across. But China was probably not as, I mean, it's a little, it's a little harder, harder deal because of the, uh, the, the, the topography there to have yeah. that level of trading. So if this did make its way over, it made its way over in a much smaller portion. Now there are some really analogous concepts in here to what we see in some Greek philosophy, but I, I don't know that it's I, I don't think that it's a situation where you can argue that there's some level of dependence or knowledge there. It's probably just parallel. OK, so. So one thing that that really stuck out to me is is uh, a lot of talk about desire. Huh. And it seems that it seems that in this collection, desire is bad. Kind of across the board, bad and, and to have a, a better life you should get rid of the desire and and that will that that will lead to a better that will lead you on on the way um that seems to conflict quite a bit with christianity in in the sense that it it's 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 like our god our, our a lot of our desires are god given and and those desires can go different ways but uh is that a, a big difference in in the portrayal of, of desires, and especially where uh, desires are, are are portrayed as being so so bad in, in in this one? Yeah, I think it's again, it's a little more complicated than that because it's not so, it's not 
desire per se and 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 actually it this is really similar you can if those of you who are familiar with buddhism and the idea that desire or really in buddhism it's it's something more like thirst is a better uh, or craving is a better tra- translation of the of the uh the concept in 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 buddhism is at root of all suffering uh so it's very yeah, like, similar like, it's very like similar to that here's one in chapter 50 or uh, uh page 50, which is going to be around chapter 50. Let me just check. Um, uh, so chapter 46, there is no greater crime than to yield to desire. Yeah. So, I mean, well, even, even in chapter one, I mean, chapter one sets the, the tone for the whole collection and, 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 and actually understanding that'll help frame this. But in any case, it's similar, similar concepts to Buddhism and, and the concept of, of getting away from craving, uh, and you bring up Christianity as desires are God-given. Yes, but desires also can turn into covetousness, right? And covetousness is something that you have to deal with. And a lot of Christianity, historically, although American Christianity oftentimes has... has civil, American civil, civil religion kind of ignores, tends to ignore this part. Um, but a lot of historic Christianity has involved itself in the mortification of the flesh. That's the traditional... Uh, way of, of discussing it to where you have all these fleshly desires that ultimately need to be put to death. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the, the great line from, from Jesus on this is whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, the statement that Jesus has. And so there's this paradox that if you want to have your life, if you want to preserve your life, that very effort of preserving your life is going to be the thing that 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 means you can't have it. But if you choose to give your life away, if you lose, if you're willing to lose your life for His sake, then you'll actually get your life back. You'll you'll receive your life. Mm-hmm. That that's actually a very that's very close to what the Tao is actually getting at, or what the what the Tao Te Ching is actually getting at here a lot. So, um, if we look at chapter one, it sets the tone here with that. Uh, with the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. And there's a, a pun here because, it, again, Tao can mean like to speak as well as way or path. So it's like the speech that can be told is not the eternal speech. So the speech that can be speeched is not the eternal speech. Or the way that can be weighed is not the eternal way, right? Something like that. Okay. So there's already some punning going on at that ver- in the very, very first line. But it's this idea that what we're trying to get at, it's warning you right up front that what we're going to try to get at here in this in this volume and what we're in the sayings that we're putting together is something that's beyond speech. It's something that we can't quite wrap our heads around and you can't you can't you can only kind of nibble around the edges, but you can't get to the heart of it in words. You can you can understand it, but you can't understand it logically in that way. Right. Mm hmm. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. So what you have here is right up front, and this is actually very similar to what you have in in Greek philosophy several centuries before this, uh, is, and again, axial age stuff, uh, is this distinction between what is eternal, which is fixed and and real and true and stable versus what is in Greek. You have that the eternal is being it is, it is, it is. Mm -hmm. 
And then you have becoming that which is never actually eternal, stable and so on, but is always in process. So, you know, Spanish speakers, again, in the audience will understand the distinction between ser and estar there, right? You have ser, like I am something, right? Mm-hmm. I This is me in essence and it's unchanged. It's an unchanging thing versus, to yeah, to be versus estar, which is really to become. It's like it's I'm I'm in this place, but I'm only in that place temporarily, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you could say something like that. And the, the basic concept here, and this is, this is, there's a lot of reflection on this in basically every religious tradition, but the basic concept is the eternal is what is really, truly real. It doesn't change. It's, it's beyond what we normally see. Whereas like the chair in front of you, you name, you, you call that a chair, but in a hundred years or in at, certainly in a thousand years, that chair is not going to be a chair anymore. It's going to decompose into its various atoms and so on and, it, and those various atoms are going to be something else right so it's it's always in the process of whatever we see the particular things that we see are always in the process of changing into something else right and so the greek philosopher heraclitus says you can only step into the same or you can never step into the same river twice because the river is always flowing mm-hmm. that concept of flowing again you get that in the pre-socratics among the greeks you get that here in the in the dao de ching as well where this idea is that everything is always flowing and at the same time you have the eternal which is the real thing but everything but the eternal also is always flow always flowing it's kind of the nature of the eternal and so so in your in your example then the desire for the the physical chair is the wrong desire but the 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 desire for the eternal chair or the idea of the chair, that's that's more of what the de- desire should be. You're getting there. Yeah, that's kind of it. But basically what it says is that it says naming is the origin of all particular things. So the thing is, it's getting beyond the idea of the chair at all. Like you, you shouldn't even start with the idea of the chair, like the idea of the chair. You, you've named something and now, yeah, you can produce it in the realm of becoming on the basis of having that idea but there's something even beyond that idea that is this origin of everything that is undifferentiated and that undifferentiated thing that is flowing and and ever becoming other things is actually the eternal reality right and that's the thing that it's trying to name and again it's very difficult to get this concept into words but then what it says right after that, naming is the origin of all particular things. Flee, or free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Yet mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. That source is called darkness. Darkness within darkness, the gateway to all understanding. So what, what, what this is getting at to some degree is the, the, what the desire that's bad in the Tao Te Ching, because it wants you to live freely to go with the flow to some degree. I mean, that's a kind of bastardized way of talking about it, but it wants you to be like water, right? You know, mm-hmm. th- th- this is, this is the, the Bruce, the famous Bruce Lee thing, you know, be like water. You know, you put water in the cup and it becomes the cup. You put water into a glass and it becomes the glass. Be water, my friend, right? You ha- that's that idea. And that's straight out of the Tao Te Ching. But you, you sh- so you should operate in, in the most natural way possible. And this is what Taoism is really after is, is it's to nurture life, to become the most natural 
you functioning in the most natural way possible. That's what the aim is, right? So that doesn't mean eliminating the desires that you may naturally have as you, but it's getting away from the desires to, to hold on to the things that can't actually be held on to, right? So if you're trying to preserve that chair in perfect, in, in, you know, in, in its current form, you're going to fail. And ultimately, every, basically, the Tao Te Ching is basically saying, listen, there's a lot of stuff that's just going to change. The world is constantly in flux. And if you try to keep it, if you try to, if your desire is to control and to keep things the way they are or to shape things into specific ways, the you're going to be extremely frustrated because there's a lot of stuff you can't control. And even what you can control, you're only going to control for just a moment. And then you're going to try to control it for that. And you're going to get frustrated. And that's going to lead to all these problems. So stop trying to control Stop having that desire to run and rule your own life or run or even worse, run and rule the lives of other people. As you get into the, the debt part of the, uh, of, of the book, it's a very libertarian philosophy in the second half of the book. Basically, if you can get to where you're no longer trying to control all of that and you've just given over to the, the reality that, you know what, death is, death is going to come. I can't prevent my loved ones from, from harm, but we can always just receive every moment as a gift and live and understand that everything is flowing out from this undifferentiated Tao that really is the thing that leads to everything else. I can just go with the flow and I no longer have to worry. I no longer have to deal with the desire to control. And I no longer have to, and this again gets to the, uh, to the, the Ur myth of, of Christianity and Judaism, right? Adam and Eve don't have problems until they reach out in desire to grasp and grab and to have the knowledge of good and evil, to be able to control what they, you know, control their world to basically mm. become like gods. And that's what the temptation is. This is what the serpent says. You know, do you not understand? You know, oh, you will not surely die. You know, Adonai knows that when you eat of that fruit, you will become like gods, knowing good and evil and so on. Well, what the Tao Te Ching says is as soon as you are, try to become like a god and try to control stuff. Yeah, your your life is over and you're no longer going to be working as an authentic human being. And you're actually just making everything worse. That's hmm. the idea. Okay. You said manifest and and then uh, we see its opposite a lot of non-manifest things throughout throughout the collection. Um, is is that the idea of yin and yang? Is yeah. that is that within here or? Yeah, and actually the the yin and yang actually the yin yang symbol was uh, was invented or was put together uh, based on. Taoist principles. It, it was it, that that symbol, as far as we know, didn't exist at the time that the Tao Te Ching was written, and it's not native to it. The concept of yin and yang was present actually prior to the authorship of the Tao Te Ching. This is something that came out of uh, Chinese philosophy even even earlier, but it's embraced in the Tao Te Ching. And what you have is you have this concept of. Uh, the primordial mixture that that integrates both the feminine yin and the masculine yang, right? 
And so there's always complementary relationships. And, 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 and what it's always getting at is that there's always what relationships that seem to be conflicting. So like bees and flowers is one example that's often used or, you know, any number of things. But these are actually relationships that are necessary, that each side of the relationship is necessary in order to continue to self-generate, self-generate order, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're getting is uh, you, you, you can't have the flowers without the bees and you can't have the bees without the flowers. You can't have masculine without feminine and you can't have feminine without masculine. And so they're they're constantly opposing and yet complementary and interpenetrating principles. And then at the same point, each one, each side, yin and yang contain a little bit of the other and are always in flux and flowing into the other so that basically again what you're always trying to seek is the harmonious union of both yin and yang right so you have you're trying to find this harmony in your nature and in nature in general that the Tao fosters because the Tao is undifferentiated and it flows out and in it in what it flows out it's going to flow out in both yin and yang principles that are going to produce this uh this uh uh this order that actually depends upon the harmony between them and so and and actually you know oftentimes a lot of times when you when you when you deal with taoism as, as as a development uh at present the the general consensus is that taoism was it came up a little bit after Confucianism began to be to, to started to become more more dominant and Confucianism Confucianism is that hard yang energy the masculine yang energy which is all about social control and making sure that you keep your obligations and do all of this and then Taoism is basically that infusion of yin of Listen, just let it go, man. Like, stop trying to control everything by having the proper ritual for everything so that society runs perfectly. Because if you, if you clench up that tight, eventually it's going to, you're it's going to burst and you try to hold on to this and it's going to slip right through your fingers because what you're trying to hold on to is water, man. And you, you grasp hold of water really hard and you're going to have nothing in your hand. If you really but, want to do well, you're going to have to open that hand and let the water flow where it will and actually just jump in. But That's then the, 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 the counterintuitive part of that is once you do that, then you have the power. Right. That's the that's the, the, the message of Taoism is that there's this, it is very counterintuitive and it is very much making the case that the great paradox of the way that the world works is in order to get power, you have to be will- you have to be willing to give it up. You have to not try to hold on to it. If you try to hold on to power and you try and you become a tyrant, then eventually your grip will the the, the hard grip that you have on that is going to become brittle and you'll lose your power. But if you are willing to give your power up and you're willing to serve other people and you're willing to uh, to lose your life, then you gain your life. Mm-hmm. And and again, you can see why this is very easily incorporated into like a Christian or a Jewish perspective as well, because I mean, those traditions would look at this and go, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with that. So, and, and, and even again, the Adam and Eve narrative, you have yin and yang right there in, 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 in 
the order built into the fabric of the cosmos. So uh, it's a fascinating, a fascinating thing to to look at in in correspondence to other uh, other philosophical works and so on. Well, we we are. Um... We're taking this a little bit out of order, but were there any <laughs> any quotes that that particularly stood out to you? Uh, maybe we can each highlight uh, two or three quotes, and then I've got uh, one one last question to to close us out. Oh wow, there's so many quotes in this that I just really love. Um, I'm I'm gonna go through a few, and I'll, I'll do a few in a row here. Uh, and, and a few of these, again, you can kind of see the pattern developing in some of these. So in chapter nine, keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security and your heart will never unclench. Care about other people's approval and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Then uh, chapter 10, can you love people and lead them? Without imposing your will. And then it continues later on. Leading and not and, tr- and not trying to control. This is the supreme virtue. Right? Uh, or. Uh, let's see. Success is as dangerous as failure. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what translation did you have? So I have um, the. Jeez. Who, who did this? Uh, this one was. Um. It's one of the better ones. It's uh, yeah, I, I, from from the what Stephen Mitchell one. Okay, from what you've read to me, I, I I like your translation better than the one that I have in front of me. Yeah, it's the Stephen Mitchell one. It's one one of the better ones. But what does it mean that success is as dangerous as failure? Whether you go up the ladder or down it, your position is shaky. When you stand with your two feet on the ground, you'll always keep your balance. So stay off the ladder, <laughs> right? Um. And then let's see. I'll, I'll put. I'll do one in while you're getting well, your next one ready. The, there. the last one goes oh, along oh, with yeah. this. Okay. When the master governs, the people are hardly aware that he exists. Next best is a leader who's loved. Next, the one who is feared. The worst is one who is despised. And master, in that sense, someone who has attained the way, right? Right. The person who governs according to the way governs in such a way that people are hardly aware that he exists. They do, they're doing according to his leadership without even recognizing it. That's the true greatness of leadership in the Tao Te Ching. Yeah. (laughs) Chapter 24, who contends for his own view finds not wisdom. (laughs) And then, uh, uh, one from chapter 13, Therefore, when a man shrinks from governing the kingdom, he may be trusted to govern the kingdom. When he is unwilling to govern the kingdom, he is fit to govern the kingdom. And we talked about this recently in another episode, but it reminds me of that scene in Gladiator where where uh, Marcus Aurelius is is uh, interviewing, at, I guess you could Are say, you ready? The, the two the two potential leaders. And, and the first one is Gladiator. Are you ready? He says, no. He says, then you are ready to lead. And uh, and then. Marcus Aurelius asks his, his son, are you ready to lead? And he says, yes. And he says, you will not be king. Yeah, well, uh, you, you called him gladiator. Um, I think you, you should at least do him the right honor of... Uh, Maximus. Of referring to him by his name. 
Maximus. Oh well, that's that's his, that's his uh. That's one of his names. Russell Crowe. <laughs> his name is Maximus Decimus or Decimus Meridius. Oh yeah. Commander of the armies of the North and general yes. of the Felix Legions. So you killed my father. That. Prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh wait, exactly. that's another movie. <laughs> yeah, it works perfectly well, right? Actually, you killed my wife and child. Yeah, exactly. Oh, let's see. Um, another one. When the ancient masters said, if you want to be given everything, give everything up. They weren't using empty phrases. Only by being, only in being lived by the Tao can you truly be yourself. That's interesting, right? Only in being lived by the Tao can you truly be yourself. You have to stop trying to live your own life. You have to let the Tao live through you, right? This is so similar to this concept. You get this very, very same concept of you have the Holy Spirit in Christianity, right? You have to give yourself over and it is Christ in you that actually lives this out. That's the, the, the concept. Now, again, the Tao is a different concept overall in many respects, but the, 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 a lot of the principles are very, very similar there. Yeah. Uh, those who have the highest righteousness act righteously without thinking of righteousness. Kind of reminds me of that. Um, the definition of humility you always, you always give yep. is to be humble. You're, you're actually not thinking of yourself at all. You're thinking... To be humble is to think less of yourself, not to uh, actually to, to, to not really think of yourself at all. Yep. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. Again, that idea of trying to like hold on, clinging to your work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. <laughs> hmm. Right? So... Uh, then there's the one that, you know, this one is, it might as well be the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, right? There is a time for being ahead, a time for being behind, a time for being in motion, a time for being at rest, a time for being vigorous, a time for being exhausted, a time for being safe, a time for being in danger. The master sees things as they are without trying to control them. She lets them go her, their own way and resides at the center of the circle. Which again, that's so similar to, uh, for Ecclesiastes, you have, there's a time for everything under the sun, right? There's a proper time and procedure for everything, for every delight. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. A time to, what is it, uh, Go. Uh, you could start earlier there, a time to birth and time to give life, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and build up, and you, know, you can go on down the line. Those, they're parallel. I mean, they, they might as well yeah. be quotes of each other. Yeah. Well, and, and probably one of the, the most famous quotes from the book, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Huh. Good thing to remember. Yeah. I, I always think of the not in this book, but the, uh, how do you eat an elephant? One, One bite, bite at, at a time. time. <laughs> For every force, there is a counterforce. Violence, even well-intentioned, always rebounds upon oneself. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword, right? Yep. 
Uh, here's here's one that seems awfully appropriate for today, for this week. Weapons are the tools of violence. All decent men detest them. <laughs> well, 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 Trebek. What have we here? All right, so I'm going to close out with uh, one last question. If Lao Tzu was to binge watch a Netflix show, which one would he watch? Ooh. Wow. That... <laughs> that's a really hard question. But you know, I actually think there's a good answer. I think there is an answer to this. I think Lao Tzu would be perfectly content to sit there and just scroll through all the various movies and TV show options and potentially never even pick a show. Just be happy. Just like, Oh look, there's that one. We could watch that one. We could not watch that one. And just, you know, 45 minutes later hasn't made a decision, but he's perfect. But you know what? You're perfectly content not having made that choice. You don't have to hold on to it or whatever. And you're not. And the thing is loud zoo would say you should be able to do this without getting frustrated at yourself. You just are contentedly alive in that moment and enjoying the fact that you have that catalog at your fingertips, despite the fact that you're not watching anything. I think that would be, that might be Lao Tzu's response there. That might be his, his particular approach. That, or he would have watched the movie Frozen for the, uh, the theme song of Let It Go. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, maybe Frozen Frozen could work. I should also, there's one other thing. Um, there, there, uh, there are a few things. I should, we should do an epilogue here because there are a few other concepts here that, that are worth knowing from Taoism itself. Okay. Uh, that might be helpful to those who've read, who, who read this. And, and again, I highly rec recommend that people read this, this book. And it's one of those that should probably be read at least once a year. I mean, it's not hard to read, but it's mm -hmm. worth meditating on a lot of this stuff. Um, the concept of the Tao to me, uh, as I understand this again, I've got a lot of training in, in Greek philosophy and classical philosophy. And one of the things that that it really does parallel pretty closely to is in Greek, you have this feminine principle of the pre-eternal primordial substance from which all exists. So like in Plato, uh, in the Timaeus, you have the Demiurge, which forms the world into its various constituent parts and brings order to the cosmos. But the, the Demiurge does this, with like eternal primordial substance of some sort. It's like, well, where does God get what he creates with? Right. There's that, that question. And there's like that co there's that chaos, that darkness, that chaos, that is the nothing that God creates out of. That is the Tao. Right. And, okay. and, and, and actually, in that sense, the Tao is actually portrayed in feminine terms because it's actually being acted upon by the masculine principle, but it itself is actually the source of everything, right? The masculine principle is, is bringing order, but it's the feminine principle that is actually the source. Uh, in, in Plato's Timaeus, this is called the receptacle, which is another sort of a roundabout way of thinking about... Um, 
particular mechanics of creation, right? It's 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 a a, a um, uh, it's it's like the womb of the of the of the universe, the womb of the cosmos, and the Tao is like that indescribable womb of the universe where there is where where there is where, that is nothing itself, but it produces everything. Uh, in the in in the Bible, you have the watery chaos from which everything is formed, right? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the surface of the deep, right? And from there, then God speaks and says, "Let there be light," and then divides that watery chaos into into new forms. That but watery it, but chaos, it, but it never has you go back to that, right? As the way, right? But that watery chaos for this is what this is referring to as the Tao. It's the thing that is co-evil, co-eternal with God. And in that sense, the the cosmology that this depends upon is not exactly the same as what you would have in, say, modern Christianity. Though, mm-hmm. again, in myths like what you have in Genesis 1, you have the presumption of that co-eternal feminine principle that is co-eternal with the masculine principle that out of which comes order, right? So you have chaos and order together and they together form this eternal universe right so you have have that idea uh but again it's 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 a it's an interesting concept to to work with well and something that stood stood out to me i mean it's not it's not just a book of wisdom sayings it's a it's it, it does have that aspect of it of there there is an eternal there there is something outside of this it's not just uh here here's what you should do while you live life but it's it's connected to something outside of us right Uh, right yeah because you you you, it's not a matter of and this is often misunderstood and and this leads into the second thing and this is an important point that that you need to understand in order to really understand the Tao Te Ching and understand Taoism and Taoist philosophy in general and that is this concept of Wu Wei uh which is how do you spell that W-U then a new word then W-E-I. That's the normal way that it's transliterated from Chinese. Okay. Uh, now, that literally means something like no action, right? And this is the, this is the principle of, like, no action, right? Uh, it's often misunderstood because, again, you've got this idea of, like, stop doing, right? Or as you get in the, um, in the psalm, actually, again, there's some carryover here to, to Hebrew Bible there. On the um, uh, be still and know that I am God, like stop, 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 right? That idea of Wu Wei is 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 to some extent parallel to that, but it's a different thing. Oftentimes, this is understood as like inaction, like you like just stop doing anything, no action. That you should just learn not to do anything, and that's not really what it is. Wu Wei is really more more like effortless action. It's like non-action action, right? And what it is is is, is and this is what the the living according to the Tao is like. It's it the the best mo- the best modern conceptual parallel I think is the concept of flow, or okay. for athletes being in the zone, mm-hmm. right? So basically, the point is that there's no need for you to to think 
or to tamper with the flow of reality at that point. Like you get into the flow and, and things are just happening through you naturally without you actually having to like consciously intervene or do any, you get to the place where artist artist way. Yeah. It's the artist way thing. And the artist way is very much in this same mode, in this same strain of, um, of Taoist thought. And actually there's, you know, the artist way is definitely a parallel to this and talk in terms of how it discusses how to do, um, how to, how to live life and how to do art, how to do artists, right? How to be an artist. Well, you, you be an artist by being an artist, not by like trying to clench up and do right. That's one of the things in the artist way is like, learn to let go and let the spirit work through you. You know, this is what she's really after. And so that's something that this is the Wu way. This is, uh, in, you know, one, one, famous description it's the art of fighting without fighting right it's the it's doing without doing it's 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 doing without the effort it's it's getting to the place where all of a sudden the 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 you're playing basketball and the basket looks you 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 can you just can't miss because you're just automatically everything has just become a flow state and you're just everything you see it before it happens and it just it's it's a surreal experience if you've ever been been in in the flow that way and what the Tao Te Ching is talking about is our aim should be basically to learn to live in that state all the time to where we're mindfully conscious and not trying to hold on to things such that we can actually just do things right you know to par- to talk about Heath Ledger's Joker right you know they're schemers i'm just a dog chasing cars wouldn't know what to do with one if i caught it right i just do things right so that's that idea again it's it's that effortless or non-willful action that's really important and uh c.s lewis by the way actually worked a good bit with Taoist concepts as well he actually has a, a whole uh a whole bit of writing on the Tao uh in his uh I believe it's the abolition of man that he he uh, deals with uh, with the concept of the Tao and and tries to work from that in his uh, in his writing as well. But yeah, that concept of Wu Wei, this is where a lot of um, martial arts derive a lot a lot from, and and that's the you know the be like water thing from Bruce Lee is Wu well, that's, Wei. It's, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, does this cover that sense of? Uh... There, there's two ways you can not fight. One, one is you're too weak, and the other is you're a warrior and you right. don't fight because it's not it's not the right thing to do. But you could you could destroy whatever's in front of you, but you you choose not to as opposed to being weak. Is it is it does that kind of capture it too? Or, or? better, it's it's that there's the third way, which is the way of the Tao, which is. When someone attacks you, you 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 turn their ener- their energy back upon them to defeat them. Okay. So yeah, which is you exactly actually, Bruce Bruce Lee. Yeah, you actually aren't the source of the of the energy in that case. You're just learning to flow yeah. and allow their negative aggressive energy to turn back on themselves and uh, on on the attacker so that. You first of all, you are still in in connection with the universe in the right way, because if you then become the violent aggressor, 
you are just like them, right? But if you learn in, and this is one of the one of the things of Taoist influenced martial arts is you're learning to turn the aggressiveness of the attacker back upon the attacker in such a way that you're actually not the attacker, right? So what, what was Josh Waitzkin doing again? He was doing uh, 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 Tai Chi and, and specifically um, uh, the competitive form of Tai Chi, which is, again, very, very influenced. It's based on Taoist philosophy, okay. Taoist thought. Yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that suggested this book. So. Yeah, and it's very much that. You have to learn... And, and that's one of the things that the, the best Tai Chi practitioners, the best competitive Tai Chi practitioners are super strong dudes. But then when you actually get into the, the, the grappling positions with them, they're light as a feather, right? Yeah. You go to press upon them and they're not there and you, you'll, you'll, you'll lose your balance. And as soon as you lose your balance, you're on your back yeah, because you... Got, you became the aggressor, and then all of that just gets channeled right back into into you, and it's it, that's that's the secret, and that's where again Taoist self defense, Taoist martial arts are all about turning that aggressive flow of one's enemy back upon one's enemy, and and learning to do so in such a way that is free flowing and and part of the natural order of the cosmos, because of course if you commit to violence, that violence will come back upon you. Well, if you are an agent of the Tao, then you will, you will do this. So that's, that's a big part of that as well. So yeah, very interesting stuff. And, and, and again, later Taoism does end up developing in very different ways. I mean, you have uh, different Taoist sects now where they actually worship effectively, not Lao Tzu as kind of a revealer or divine figure, uh, in ways that are very different from the more philosophical kind of approach to Taoism, which just addresses it and addresses these concepts this way. So, but those are different things entirely. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I, I think that's uh, that's probably a pretty good place to stop. Uh, we should. Um, we could go on. I mean, I could I could talk about the Tao Te Ching for quite a while. I think I think that's evident right now. But um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll leave off with one quote, one more quote. Underestimating your enemy means thinking that he is evil. Thus, you destroy your three treasures and become an enemy yourself. It's a good place to good place to close. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. that was good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll be back next week. I know in uh, one of the upcoming weeks, we're going to be discussing thinking fast and slow, which uh, I'm about a third of the way into that and am just absolutely loving it. So I can't wait to discuss that one. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter and we're at uh, booksoftitans.com. We'd uh, love for you to join along uh, in, in any of those places and uh, also, if you, if you write us a review, uh, it'd be great if you did that at Apple Apple uh, Podcasts. And uh, as and Jason always says, your... leave us an effusive five-star rating. We would uh, greatly appreciate that. So. And wherever else you get your, your podcasts, you know, your, your podcast managers or whatever, reviews yeah. help us in general, as long as they're five-star reviews and have all sorts of high praise for what you're getting out of this uh, podcast. 
Yep. But anything more from you? No. Uh, other than um, just keep reading. Yeah, and keep listening and keep improving. And keep it real. I made this.